Habakkuk, little <coughs> minor prophet Habakkuk. Uh, let's turn there. We're going to read from there before we actually go to our message this morning. That's what our, the basis of our message today. And <clears throat> it's one of the minor prophets. Towards the end of your New Testament, we have Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, and Zechariah. So it's towards the end. Just If you go to the New Testament and go backwards a little bit, uh, you'll find it pretty quickly. The book of Habakkuk. I'll wait for you to find it. Right. <clears throat> Let me just put you in the picture as far as where Israel is at this point. All right? Uh, uh, oftentimes the books of the Bible are not chronological, but you know Habakkuk is pretty close to the end, and it's pretty close to the end for uh, the nation of Judah. They are just about to go down, right? <clears throat> they have just had the wonderful reign of King Josiah. Good King Josiah reigned for Josiah reigned for 31 years, and he rediscovered the word of God. He rediscovered the laws of God. He cleansed the temple. They reinstituted the Passover. Great things happened. Uh, Josiah, when he found out they hadn't been obeying God's laws, uh, he was stirred and all Israel were stirred with him. But you know, before Josiah came on the scene, Israel had been on a, on a downward descent, a fast descent. Uh, king Ammon was a wicked king. He, served, he reigned for two years before Josiah. And as soon as Josiah died, uh, the nation kicked back into its downward descent. It was going down, it was going down rapidly. In fact, there are three kings from the end, though Habakkuk wouldn't have known that. Uh, there are three kings from the end. It's going to, it's going to end in his lifetime. Right? The next one is Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz is going to reign for three months, and uh, God's going to t uh, remove him from the scene. And then Jehoiakim is going to reign for 11 years, and then Jehoiakim, his brother, is going to reign for three months, and then it's curtains. God removes them from the land, uh, and they lose it. So <clears throat> these are dark days. These are desperate days uh, <clears throat> for the nation of Israel. And you have this little book, that <clears throat> the book of Habakkuk, coming into the middle of this. And obviously the prophet is stirred when he sees how wicked things are. He's, he's heartbroken uh, when he sees, and, and he's got a mind for God to do something and change the whole thing. But God's going to do not what he expected him to do. And what we're going to find this little prophet we're going, this book, in this book, we're going to find somebody coming to God and asking him for one thing, but God giving something else entirely. But we're going to find him triumphing towards the end of the book. We're going to find him rising in faith. You see, we don't always know what God is doing. But we can always know him, and we can trust him. You know, our faith always wants to rest on, well, God's going to work it out for me, doesn't it? Our faith always wants to be in the place where God's going to do the, do the good thing, the happy thing, the thing I want him to do. Habakkuk's not going to get that, but we're going to find Habakkuk by the end of the book triumphing in faith because he sees God. And he knows God's in control. So <clears throat> we're going to just take the first 11 verses this morning, but let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin to read. Father, would you bless us? Lord, as we look to your word, would you help us, Lord? Uh, Lord, you gave this man a message. You, you spoke to him. You dealt with him. And, Lord, we see a dialogue here between you and him. Help us, Lord, to, to, to glean and to know and to understand you better as we see it. Lord, would you bless, Lord? Would you <clears throat> quicken me as I speak, Lord, that I might speak exactly what you'd have me to speak? And, Lord, would you take your people and would you quicken your people, Lord, to hear? That each one might take what they need from it, Lord, and that not just hear, but apply it to their lives. And, Lord, that we might be changed and that we might know you better and that we might walk with you better because of it. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you work in hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Habakkuk chapter 1. <clears throat> the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? 
even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save? Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold ye among the heathen in regard, and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. Now this is God speaking. This is God answering the prophet. <clears throat> for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. Uh, and their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far and they shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity uh, as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. All right, so we look at this little book of Habakkuk, and it's, it's, it, it, this is not the answer he wanted. This man has lived through the reign of King Josiah, and he's expecting that what, Josiah is, what God is going to do now, he's going to, he's going to refresh the nation. He's going to give a new king that's going to lead like Josiah did. And God is saying, that's not what I'm doing. Let me tell you what I am going to do. And he's telling him what he is going to do. And what we see here in the first chapter is we see Habakkuk's faith tested. Now, the testing of our faith is something God does all the time. It's not just something that happens to the prophet from time to time. It happens to you and I all the time too. We're expecting one thing from God, and God seems to give us something else entirely. And our faith gets tested. And then in, in chapter 2, we're going to find faith taught. That God's going to teach this prophet faith. And then in chapter C, we're going to see faith triumphant. You see, Habakkuk is not trusting God because God is doing what he wants him to do. Habakkuk, by the end of the chapter, is trusting God because he's God, and he's in control. And we need to be in the place where we're trusting God, not because we can kind of control him. That's, honestly, that's paganism. You know, the pagans tried to control their gods, or at least keep them away from, from themselves and from their lives. What we need is we need to be in a place where we actually are trusting God to be God in our lives. In other words, he knows best, and he's working it out, and we can rest, because he's got a good plan. Not trusting him to do what we want him uh, <clears throat> to do. Um, <clears throat> so the first question <clears throat> or, is, what do we do about an answered prayer? When we come to God with an answered prayer, what do we do about it? Uh, <clears throat> o Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. That's, that's the cry of Habakkuk. He's saying, how long? I'm, I'm crying. I'm asking you to do something about this and you're not doing it. Nothing's changing. Nothing's happening. Have you been there? Have you been in that place where you're asking God to do something and you're asking God to do something and, and, and it's not changing? And it's not turning around? Now, sometimes that's inconsistent with our faith, isn't it? But I was asking God to do it. He has to do it. Now you think about it. If that were true, God wouldn't be God. You would. You'd be the one calling the shots. You'd be the one saying what you wanted to happen and expecting what you wanted to happen. Now, <clears throat> 
And the problem for us with that is that it's not true. That's not the way it works. And we're living on a false hope when we think that's the way it works. Look at the world around you. You We see warfare. We see murder. We see corruption. We see perversion. We see looting. We see robbery. From time to time, it intersects with our lives, and we get exercised about it, and we want to see it changed. For the most part, it's distant enough from us that we may look at it and go, oh, that's terrible. But it doesn't really get to us. It doesn't really bother us. But Understand there are people that are being bothered by the things you're reading about in the paper today. You know, there are people in the Ukraine uh, whose families died yesterday. You know, there are terrible things happening all over our world and people are being affected by them. And we need to understand, listen, these things are going on and our God is not in a place where he can't change any of those things. But he doesn't change them. He allows them to happen. Gets personal. Let me read you some personal things for for, for different people. Um, <coughs> uh, sooner or later, we all wonder at <coughs> God's seeming inactivity. Where is God when we need Him? A godly mother, mother prays for her wayward son. He was raised in the church. He went to Sunday school. He knows the Bible. But when he left home, he left it all behind. For many years, his mother has prayed for him. But to this day, he remains a prodigal son. That's a wound that doesn't go away for somebody. Many of you have experienced that kind of a wound. That's a wound that just is there. Uh, A wife prays for her husband who has left after 23 years of marriage for a younger woman. He seems utterly unreachable, and the marriage heads swiftly for divorce. That's, that's, listen, I I can guarantee that woman is praying uh, morning, noon, and night and asking God to change that situation. And God, God lets it continue. God doesn't stop it. A, wife, a husband prays for his wife who has terminal cancer. She has six, maybe seven months to live. None of the treatments stop the rampaging tumors. The elders anoint her with oil and pray over her in the name of the Lord. She dies five months later. I mean, we experienced that with the hearths, didn't we? We watched as Joy Hearth went home to be with the Lord. It wasn't what Gary was looking for. It wasn't what anybody was praying for. But God chose to do it that way. Um, a young man prays fervently for deliverance from an overpowering temptation, but the struggle never seems to end. The more he prays, the worse it gets. We cry out sometimes, why, O oh Lord, do you stand afar off? Why is it that you're not near? Uh, you know, the situations come up in the news and, and they grab our attention. Remember the 276 Nigerian schoolgirls that were kidnapped by Boko Haram? That was very much on our minds and on our hearts for a while, wasn't it? And we were just looking for God to... You know, it's all settled down. They say 57 of them uh, have escaped, but the rest have not been heard of. Now, listen, that's dreadful. That is terrible. And, you know, <clears throat> that had, those things are happening in our day and age. They're real. What do we do when God doesn't answer prayer the way we expect Him to? What do we do when God doesn't perform... Uh, <clears throat> in the way that kind of works for us, in the way that actually makes us feel okay, what do we do with it? You know, we kind of, sometimes we just draw a blank on it. Well, I don't know what, don't know what happened there. That's just wickedness. And we make, we kind of go, go to a duality type thing, right? There's wickedness and there's, and there's God, and the two are kind of in opposition, and sometimes wickedness wins and sometimes God wins. That's not true. God is in control of everything in this planet. Nothing's ever going to happen apart from God being in control of it. God is a God can stop anything from happening. He's never the author of wickedness, but he can stop anything from happening. And sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he allows it uh, to happen. And sometimes he allows it to touch you and I. 
And when it touches you and I, that's when it really begins to hurt. And that's when your faith begins to get shaken sometimes. Because you know what? The hard things have touched me. Here's Habakkuk, and he's like you and I. He's saying, Lord, why don't you do something about this situation? Lord, there's wickedness, and everybody's doing wrong, and I'm seeing violence, and we're, we're in a downward spiral, and things are not changing. And Lord, you've got to do something about it. And God says, I will. But I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do about it. I'm not going to actually do what it is that's on your mind. And we ask, Lord, where are you at those times? And, and, and it's legitimate for us to ask that. You know, it's not a good idea for us to just let all these hack, things, things happen and say, well, I know what happened. Who knows? Who knows what's going on? We need to ask the question, Lord, where are you? Because he's involved in everything in his planet. Now, when a hard thing comes into your life, you'll ask the question, won't you? <clears throat> when it touches you, you come to the place where you say, why, Lord? What's going on here? You know, <clears throat> It's legitimate for us to want to know. And God's going to answer Habakkuk. He's not going to answer him the way he expected to be answered, but he is going to answer him. And God will answer you. He doesn't always answer you by doing what you want him to do. And you say, Pastor, why are you telling us about this? Why don't you just tell us some happy tale this morning of how things worked out for everybody and it just was fine and they all did great. We, we, we would feel much better this Sunday going home with a tale like that. Here's the reason. The reason is that if we're trusting in God to do what we expect him to do and he doesn't do it, our faith gets shattered. What we've got to do is we've got to be trusting in God to be God so that when the storms assail, when our faith comes under fire, we actually can rest in him and trust in him. Now by the end of this book, the prophet Habakkuk, uh, let me just read you the end of the book, right? <clears throat> Because this, this is where God brings him to. Uh, he says in verse 17, he says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Man, that is a bad day. But he's saying, if everything that could possibly go wrong does go wrong, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds' feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. He comes to the place where no matter what happens, I can, and I will trust him, and I will be okay. And that is faith triumphant. But you can't have triumphant faith if you put it in a God who's going to do it the way you want him to do, because he won't. He'll do it a different way. You can only have triumphant faith if you can trust in the living God to be God and as God to do what he thinks best. That's the only place that you're going to have that triumphant faith. So the first um, part of our message today is you, <clears throat> the, the question Habakkuk asks, God, why aren't you doing something about it? Why aren't you fixing it? The second part is the harder part for us to take, right? Uh, <clears throat> What do we do when, when wickedness seems so completely overwhelming? Habakkuk 1.3 says, Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Uh, therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment 
proceedeth. What are you doing, Lord, when, when wickedness seems so overwhelming? First of all, God's not answering his prayer. And secondly, the wickedness is just overwhelming. He's just overwhelmed by the whole thing. He can't handle it. <clears throat> what do you do then? Now, and you know what? We live in days. You switch on the news. And every day, something comes on. You hear something. You hear about some perversion, some twisted stuff going on. You hear about some wickedness going on. We hear about uh, Paris. We hear about situations here in Ireland. You know, we hear dreadful things. Yeah, almost make you want to not, not listen to the news, wouldn't it? And, and you know what? In some cases, that, that might not be a bad idea sometimes, particularly not for us to listen to it over and over again and hear all this, this, this stuff being drilled into our minds. But, but we, we hear of all this wickedness and all this, these things going on in our lives. Now, what do we do about it? We're crying out to God to change it, and we should be. And God doesn't do anything about it. <clears throat> what do we do about that? And then, what do we do when the answer is not what we expected? The answer is not the answer. Habakkuk 1.6, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breath of the land to possess the dwelling places. Now, what do we do when the answer is not what we expected? You see, what God is saying to Habakkuk is this. He's saying, listen, uh, I'm going to send in the Chaldeans. And what they're going to do is they're going to destroy everything in the land. I'm going to send them in. Uh, the Babylonians are going to just tear everything apart. I mean, they were wicked and <clears throat> they were focused and they were good at what they did. You know, when they wanted to do something, they did. If they, if they wanted to take a nation, they took the nation. They swept across the, uh, the ancient Near East. Uh, they, they put people into uh, service. They killed people. They murdered. They did whatever they did. They brought the kings, uh, humbled them, sometimes with literally hooks in their jaws. They brought them back. When God is saying, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that is not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. That's not what he wanted to hear. That is not what he wanted him to do. That is not what he expected. That was not what, what, what was going to make a happy day for him. In fact, I can imagine uh, <clears throat> Habakkuk going back and saying, Lord, did I hear you right? The Chaldeans? The Babylonians? That's what you're going to do? That's how you're going to fix this situation? All right? Now, <clears throat> let's go back a little bit and check the history here for, for a little bit. First of all, the nation of Judah had been going on a wrong course for hundreds of years now. And God had been telling them, if you do not turn back, I will judge you and you will be removed from the land. The prophets are saying that over and over again. That's the prophecy. Probably you're going to be removed from the land. If you do not turn back, if you do not give up your idols and turn to me, then what you're going to find is I'm going to put you out of the land. I gave it to you and I'm going to take you out of it. Right? And... Um, <clears throat> When Habakkuk comes upon, uh, upon the, uh, the, the picture, though, they just had Josiah, and things looked really good in Josiah's day. And, and what God did because of Josiah's repentance and because of the revival there during Josiah's day is God held back the judgment, but he told him, it's not going to stop. It's going to happen. It's not going to stop because I warned and warned and warned, and they haven't turned back. And so during life, Josiah's lifetime, he holds it back, but it's coming anyway. It's, it's kind of apprentices. By the way, listen, don't imagine that you can't have an impact upon your society. Here's one man, and he preserves the nation for 31 years. That's a whole lot of people that get a chance to live and get a chance to look to God. But when Josiah's gone, they go immediately back to their wickedness. And that shows you two things. First of all, the judgment of God wasn't going to hold back. But you know what? It shows you this, that the people hadn't really changed. The people hadn't, hadn't really changed. They hadn't really turned their hearts back to God. Now, 
We want to stand on the promises of God, don't we? We like that. I like that. I mean, I enjoyed that this morning. That's encouraging to me. It's encouraging to you. I'm sure we're standing on the promises of God. But typically, when we stand on the promises of God, here's what we're standing on. There's a good promise. I think I'm fulfilling that, so I'm standing on that good promise. But do you know that God always balances the good promises with bad promises? That there are promises. If, if you do right, if you live for God, God says he's going to do this. And if you do wrong, God's going to do this. That's the way the Bible is. Now, it's never that he hates you. He always loves you. But he promises you that he's going to do certain things when you do right and certain things when you do wrong. That if you live right, he's going to bless you in certain ways. And if you do wrong, he's going to, uh, th- th- there's going to be not blessing, cursing in your life. God promises that. Now, here's the thing. We want to trust God to keep the promises that are good, don't we? You know, we'll say one of you, you're standing on the promise of God. uh, And um, God says to you, well, I was only joking about that promise. That's impossible, isn't it? That's unthinkable, totally unthinkable. You know, we're standing on the promise because we expect that God is going to fulfill it. He is going to work it, and he will. He always does. Never fails to keep a promise never fails to keep a promise. He makes your promise, he will keep the promise, right? Now, if God kept the promises that we like, but made promises to us that were harder and didn't keep those, would that be right? No. When God told the nation of Israel, if you don't, if you don't turn back to me and serve me, I will put you out of the land, he had to fulfill that promise. That's who he is. He has to fulfill the promises. So when we deal with the promises of God, we've got to understand this, that, you know, God is going to do what he said he will do, good and bad. You know, <clears throat> I, I need to fear him, and I need to love him. You see, the two can't work at the same way. They can with God. It's not that I fear that he will ever hate me, because he never will. But I need to fear doing wrong, because he's in charge of everything. He's in charge of all of it. And I need to love him and serve him, because, you know what, that's the best way. And when I get it that way, what happens is, my life is blessed. And that's what happens in your life too. You know blessing in your life when you live like that. You see, the nation of Israel and Judah in this case, they had been living their own way, doing their own thing, ignoring God, going their own way for way too long. And God said, I have to deal with this. I promised you I would deal with this and I have to deal with this. So God's going to deal with it. And And the way he's going to deal with it is he's going to bring in the Babylonians. And he's going to use them to deal with this nation. You know, sometimes we just have to kind of rethink it and recast it outside of the frame of what we want and into the frame of who God is and what he's doing. Let me give you six important insights that are going to help you in this. First of all, do you realize that you only see part of the picture? You really only see part of the picture. You know, no matter, no matter how well you can see, you, you, you just see a little part of the picture. See, God, God is a great artist, and he's doing a masterpiece. In fact, he's doing many masterpieces. He's, doing, he, he's working in your life creating a masterpiece. Right? <clears throat> and, and he's working things out in your life that you can't understand and you can't work out. But he's creating a masterpiece. Somebody said it's like this. It's as though <clears throat> you, you've got this fabulous painting hanging on the wall, and you've got an ant walking across the painting. Well, we'll say, just for instance, that the ant starts on the brown soil. Well, while the ant is on the brown soil, he thinks it's all brown soil. 
the whole world is brown because that's all he can see. But then he comes out of the brown soil and he starts walking across grass in the painting and he says, oh, everything's green. And then he comes to a tree and, uh, and he's walking across brown and, and then he comes to the sky and he's walking across blue. And in every place where he's walking across, that's all he can see. And he thinks that's what it's about. Now that's your life. God's actually painting a masterpiece in your life. And all you can see in your life is what God is doing right now. Oh, you have some history. You can see what God was doing back there, and that should help you. But all you can see is what God is doing right now. Now, it's much bigger than that, though. Because your life is a masterpiece that God is working on, but your life is a tiny dot in a much vaster masterpiece that God is working on. And he's got it all connected and all interconnected. And all you can see is the tiny point you're at in your life right now, and you can't see the big picture. You don't have eyes to see that. You don't have eyes to understand what it is that God is doing. But he's creating a masterpiece. One day he's going to show you the masterpiece he's creating. And he's going to show you your part in it. And you're going to go, whoa. That is beautiful. That is amazing. Look what you did. But right now you can't see it. You can't see all that God is doing. So in your life today, there are going to be some happy times, some blessed times, some morning when you wake up and the world is your oyster and everything looks good and everything looks great. And, and they're a gift from him. And, but there are going to be some days when you wake up and you think, God, where are you? How could this be happening in my life? How, how could you let these things happen in my life? But they're all part of the masterpiece. You see, you can, ha you, you can pick your favorite painting. And by the way, you should take time to look at paintings. Right? You can pick your favorite painting and you can look at your favorite painting and you can say, well, you know, I don't like brown. And if you removed the brown from most paintings, you'd ruin the painting. Because the whole thing comes together. Maybe you say, oh, I don't like red. Well, you remove all the red from the painting and you'd ruin the painting. See, all the parts of your life are essential to the masterpiece God is doing. He loves you way too much to let you suffer anything without needing it. Did the nation of Israel need to go into captivity? Definitely. Definitely. Did God cast them off and say, that's it, I'm finished with you? No, he didn't. He brought them back again and he's put them out again since. And he's brought them back again. <clears throat> no, they needed that. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. In your life and in my life, I want happy days. I want all happy days. You ask me any day, what do you want, Dave? A happy day or a, or, or a sad day? I'm going to say, listen, I want a happy day today. <clears throat> all, all the days that I, that I want, they're all happy days. But you know what? I need hard days, too. I need the tough days. And so do you. You say, but hang on a minute, Pastor. My tough days are going on too long. How do you know? How do you know? You see, you only see part of the picture. God sees all of the picture. You only see this tiny po portion of the painting where you're at right now. God sees all of it. He knows what's going on, and he knows the picture he's making in your life. And you know what? When you see it, you're going to say, that was perfect. That's just exactly what I needed. 
what needed to happen in my life. So that all the hard times and the good times and the colors and the hues are all going to mix together to make the final work. And you're going to look at it and you're going to say, yeah, that, that's, that's wonderful. That's great. That's wonderful. <clears throat> see, we only see part of the picture. We don't see all of the picture. Um, <clears throat> Habakkuk was looking at part of the picture. Habakkuk was looking like any of us would. Well, okay, we had things going bad. Then Josiah came along and things were good. And now we've had this dud king and now we've got another dud king. Lord, would you do something? Would you give us a king that's going to turn it all around? And God says, no, I'm going to give you the Chaldeans instead. Not what he wanted. But you know what? What was needed. And we see the broad picture of Israel's history. And you know what the history of Israel teaches us? Whoa, there's a God who's in charge. Because you know the Bible says that all those things were written for our ensample. They were written to help us. That's why it's all recorded. What God did with Israel is all recorded to help us. This is, God, God is saying to you, this is who I am. These are my people. <clears throat> this is how I deal with them. I make them promises and I keep the promises. I'll do the same for you. And if we would read it like that, we would go, wow. You know what? I want to walk with him. I want his blessing on my life. I don't want to do my own thing. I, I want God to bless my life. You see, we only see part of the picture. <clears throat> God sees all of the picture. Secondly, God doesn't have to do what we expect. Now, this is kind of hard for us to take. We are 21st century people, and we expect that, you know, even the powers above us will do what we want them to do, right? <clears throat> the nation doesn't like water charges. All right, let's take the water charges away. <clears throat> we don't like them. We're going to make them take them away. That, that's what the nation has decided and the nation is pushing for. I'm not sure it's going to work. I'm not sure it would be right for it to work, but that's what the nation has decided. And we expect things to work out like that. If we don't want it, we're not going to take it, and you can't make us. And then you meet God. And nobody controls God. Just think about it. If you could control God, he wouldn't really be God. You would. If you could actually get him to do what you want him to do. Now, when we pray, we say, Lord, will you please? But sometimes what we're trying to do is we're trying to manipulate God. God, you've got to do this. That's the only way forward. You've got to fix this situation. I need you to fix it, and I need you to fix it now. Now, he's God, and you're not. That's something to keep reminding of yourself over and over again. He's God. I'm not. I'm not God. He knows what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. But it doesn't matter, because he's God, and I'm not. He's in charge. He rules in this situation. Not me. He's, he's the one that's in charge. And, you know, when I come to God, I must believe that he is. That he is what? That he is God. That he is in charge. That he is in control. That I'm not. I have to come to him and believe uh, that he is God. That he is fully God. And listen, he doesn't have to justify the way he runs his world to me. He doesn't have to come down and say, well, Dave, hey, here's what I'm doing. I need you to try and understand because I want you to like me, Dave. He doesn't do that one. He's God. He runs his world the best way. He runs his world far beyond anything I could do and far beyond anything you could do. Is it possible that our finite minds could ever fully comprehend the infinite thinking of God? 
And when you look at your life and you, you know what's best and you know what you need and you know what God needs to do, is it possible that you could fully understand all that God is doing? No, you see, you're finite. You've got a mind that's this big. He's infinite. Is it possible that God could always explain to you what he's doing? You couldn't handle it. You couldn't see. Imagine God were to explain to you. <clears throat> okay, well, I'll tell, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with your life. Here's what I'm going to do with your life. You're going to have this trouble and this trouble because that's going to help you here. And this trouble and this trouble because that's going to help you here. And you're going to lose a loved one here. And you're going to have this sickness here. How could you live? No, oh no, all these things are coming at me. And what he does is he brings things into our lives because he's working things out in our lives. And he knows what he's doing. He, he, he doesn't have to do it the way you expect him to do it. If you had a God who did things the way you expected him to do them all the time, you know what, he wouldn't be God. You'd be God. What he says is, Listen, <clears throat> here's what I'll show you about me. And by the way, when God tells us about himself, he tells us oftentimes not what he's going to do, but he tells us who he is. You know, <clears throat> poor Job. Poor Job goes through all that. And, <clears throat> and he's just, by the, by the time his friends are done with him, he is beside himself and he wants answers and he wants God to give him answers right now. And God never answers them. We know more about poor Job than Job did. We know more about what was going on. Then Job knew. What God did say to him was, Job, hey Job, it's me. You need to understand not what's going on in your life. You need to understand it's me. I'm doing it. It's okay, Job. And you know what Job did? Job said, oh, I'd heard about you, but now I see. Oh, this is too marvelous. You know, you could say this, he forgot about his troubles. Because he found out who it was that was dealing with him. And he knew him better. And in all the trials and tribulations that God is bringing you through, you know what he wants? He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him better. Don't look for a God you can control. That's going to be a frustration to your faith and may well break your faith. Put yourself in the hands of a God who knows what's best. And let him work it out. God doesn't have to do what you expect him to do. And finally, we need a bigger God. We really do. We need a bigger God. We work our God into a little box. Okay, okay, okay. I can work this out. You know, if I do this, God's going to do this. And if I do this, God's going to do this. Okay, I got it. And we got this God who's working in a little box. And all of a sudden we find, no, that's not who he is at all. Man, he's God. And he's in charge. And he does things in our lives sometimes that are the last thing we thought was the, what we wanted and uh, <clears throat> the last thing we thought would help us. He just steps in and he does things. And we need a bigger God. Now, what do I mean when I say we need a bigger God? By the way, that's where Habakkuk came to. Habakkuk came to the place where even if I have nothing, if I have no cows, no goats, no olives, no grapes, no nothing, and nothing ever grows again, you know what? I'm going to rejoice in you because I have you. That's where he came. He came to a place where his God was bigger. 
where he could trust his God because <clears throat> his God was bigger. His God was big enough to carry him. Let, let, let me ask you some questions and you just answer them to yourself. Right? <clears throat> Does God know best? What about the issue that you're dealing with right now that you want him to fix and he's not fixing? Does God know best about that issue too? Yes. God knows best about that issue, doesn't he? He knows infinitely more than you do about the issue. He knows the impact of the issue on the rest of your life, on your children's life, on society's life. He knows the impact of it. You, you think you know, but you don't. God knows best. He knows what is best in the situation. Let me ask you another question. Does God love you? That's the rock we perish on sometimes. We're really not sure. And the reason, we, the, the, the reason we get so hit by that one is because what happens to us is we kind of trust God to do things in a certain way, and when he doesn't, we're not sure he loves us. When he doesn't work it out the way we expected him to work it out, our, our, our trust in his love gets shaken. Now, when you're trusting God's love for you gets shaken, it's very hard. That's, that's the one the enemy wants to unseat for you. He wants to unseat the fact that God loves you. Does God love you? Take a look at the cross. That was for you. You on your own. You as an individual. Not just the great world. That's how much he loved you. Could someone who loves you enough to die for you ever come to the place where something in your life was just, they couldn't care less about it? No, it's impossible. He loves you. He loves you. He, he knows what you're going through. He loves you. Now, if God knows what's best, and God loves me, then you know what? It can't be that I'm in a situation today that he's not interested in. He knows. He's interested. And then the final thought is he has the power to change it. So that if he doesn't change it, you know what? It's because he put it there and he wants it there. And it's part of the painting. For right now, he may change that, but for right now, it's part of the painting. For right now, this is what God wants in your life. Now, <clears throat> if that's true, could I just let God be God? And say, Lord, this hurts, and you know it hurts. But I know that you know best, and I know that you love me. And I know that you're able to work it out, and whatever happens, you will work it out in my life eventually. Lord, I'm going to trust you with it. Can't you feel the weight going off your shoulders when you think that thought? Lord, I'm going to put it in your hands. Lord, I'm going to let you have it. And when we yield it to God, you know what? doesn't mean the situation changes. Don't, don't get me wrong. You know, it doesn't mean, <clears throat> you know, okay, you've learned the lesson, now you're going to move on. It doesn't mean that at all. But you have learned this. I can trust him. It'll be okay. I can rest in him. And so much of our in, inner turmoil comes from the place where, you know, where, where we, we can't live with the situation. 
We don't want this situation. It's not what we planned. It's not what we want. And when we come to the place where we say, God, okay, you're God. You brought this into my life. And it's okay. Oh, I know you're going to be with me in it, and it's okay. I can, I, I can live with it because I have you. Something inside changes, even if the outside doesn't. Something inside changes because now he's in it. He's in charge. He's involved. And life works when he's involved. As we close this morning, let me just <clears throat> encourage you to do some things. First of all, if you're not saved, today is the day. You're never getting a better offer. God who loves you, died on the cross for you, is saying, I want to save you. Would you accept his salvation today? Secondly, you're in a situation where you're saying, God, what are you doing? I've been praying. I've been asking you to change it. And Lord, you're not changing it. In fact, I just cut news that it's getting worse. Lord, what are you doing? Can you come to the place this morning where you say, Lord, you know best, and I know you love me, and I know you're able, so I'm accepting this as part of the painting of my life. And one day, Lord, you're going to show me that it's a masterpiece, and it works. And I'm going to rejoice in what you're doing, but I'm not going to wait till then. I'm going to rejoice in you and what you're doing today. I'm going to give thanks. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, would you bless us this morning? Lord, we're dealing with hard things, and Lord, I know that this brings tough things up in people's hearts. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you undertake for us that our faith might be on solid ground, that we might be in a place where we're trusting you to be you and not hoping that you'll do things the way we want them to be done. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you work deep in our hearts and lives, we pray. And Lord, we'll trust you and we'll wait for you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.